0: Okay, now I'm on. All right. Part of the the program is they allow sermon slides in it, so we don't have to change between different programs and different stuff. And so since we're on the trial period of it, I thought, well, I'll give it a shot. See how it goes. See what blows up on me. So I'm down here. That's up there. We'll see what we can change in the future. As I get all my stuff working. What'd you say? <laughs> Thanks to Kobe. He says, this is how you know that you're old. You're slow. <laughs> There's another way that you know that you're old, which I haven't reached yet, is when you wake up multiple times at night and you can't sleep. And someone else was telling me about it, but I'm not going to tell you who it was, but someone who think was young, but he's telling me it's happening. I love bookstores, completely unrelated topic, I love bookstores, I love bookstores, everyone hear that, I love bookstores? Okay, good, good, okay, there's about a bookstore, there's a bookstore about 10 or 15 miles from where my folks live, not these folks, but my actual folks over in western Iowa, uh, that I love going into, it's downtown, it's a whole wall place, you walk in and floor to ceiling books, and the aisles between bookshelves are about this far apart and you just wind your way in, and then there's a downstairs. And the downstairs is bigger than the upstairs. It's amazing. I walk in, and I smell the dust, and there's this happy flutter of my heart. I am a nerd, and I acknowledge it, that I am a nerd. I would rather spend my vacation holed up in a bookstore getting white because I haven't seen the sun than on a beach getting blistered because I have seen the sun. I am a nerd. When you spend enough time in bookstores, you start realizing something, at least I do. The sections that I like to buy books from are small. And the sections I don't want to buy books from, they're huge, huge. People either want to buy junk or they want to buy books to better themselves, so-called self-help books, and I don't like either of those sections. We're not going to talk about the junk. There's a huge section on self-help books, things to do to improve our situation. Now, I'm not here to say anything against those books or against people who want to spend their money buying those books, but those books really aren't that useful when the rubber meets the road. In the grand scheme of life, they're not very helpful. Now, two weeks ago, I promised that this month, as I preached, I would be divisive, 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 whatever pronunciation you want to do on it. So there you go, the first divisive point. Those books aren't really helpful. There's more coming. The Christian life is not about bettering our situation. The Christian life is about serving Jesus in whatever situation we find ourselves in. The Christian life is not about bettering our situation. The Christian life is about serving Jesus in whatever situation we are in. Let's read our text. Wait for it. Ooh. Isn't that cool? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 17 to 18. He says, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I laid down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Sorry, in advance. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who is a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You are bought at a price, do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Before we dive into the weeds of this passage, Will you pray with me? Father, thank you that you are the God of all things. You are the God who has remained the same from the beginning of time until now. Even though technology might change, even though we as humans, how we view the world might change, even though our desires and our priorities might change, you are the steadfast one who's remained faithful throughout all of our fickleness. Lord, today as we study your word, I ask that your truth would come through it. I ask that you would give me the strength that I'm lacking today to preach your truth. And I ask that you would give us all wisdom how to understand your word, not because I have said it, but because you have written it. And Lord, as I'm up here, I ask that I would decrease and that you might increase. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Thanks, Father. Let's dive into this passage. Paul has just discussed marriage, divorce, and singleness. He urged the Corinthians to stay married, except in very specific situations, as we talked about last week when we discussed divorce. Divorce. Then in this passage, he broadens his discussion uh, before he narrows it again as we will talk about next week, but he broadens his discussion to politics and finances. And he urges his readers to serve Jesus in whatever situation they are in. He first reminds his readers and us who we are. He says that we are Christians. We are Christians. Paul writes... First Corinthians chapter seven verse seventeen. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. He reminds the Corinthians that they should live as believers, which means that they are believers. He 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 believes that the people who he's writing to are believers. But what does that mean? What does it mean to say that we are believers? There are some people you walk up to them and they say, Yeah, oh, you know, I believe in God. Or, or in fact, you can go up to them and they can say something even greater. They can say, you know, I believe in Jesus. But then you ask them, What do you mean? And they kind of look at you. And they can't really say. They just they believe in God. They they believe in Jesus. It, well, isn't that enough? but they can't describe. They have a faith in some sort of deity that is out there. But it's not the God of Scripture because they can't tell you who he is or what he is or what he's done. These people are not the people that Paul is referring to when he says, live as believers. There are some people you walk up to them and they say, oh yeah, I believe in God or I believe in Jesus. And they ask them, okay, what do you mean by that? And they start talking about what their church has told them to say. And they start talking about what they have done for God in their life or what they should be doing for God in their life. Because if you're a Christian or if you're a believer, you're going to do these things. And if you don't do these things, you're not a believer. You're not a believer in God or a in Jesus because you've not done these things that they say you have to do. These things that they could be talking about could be ranging from attending a specific church, going through specific sacraments, doing good works, tithing, praying certain prayers, etc., etc., etc. They could go on down the line of all these things that you should do if you're a believer. But Paul's not talking about these people either, because these people have faith in works, not in Jesus Christ. He's talking about the people whom Jesus was referring to in his parable in Luke chapter 18. Paul, Jesus says to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. Jesus told these people a parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give the tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went to home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. I went forward too far. A believer has reached a point in his life when they realize that there is a sinner, that they are a sinner, and nothing that they can do can save themselves from that sin just as this sinner standing in the temple beating his breast saying God have mercy on me this is who I am and I realize it I acknowledge it they throw up their hands and they echo what Paul what the jailer told to Paul in Acts chapter 16 verses 31 to 33 the jailer brings Paul and Silas to him and asks sir what must I do to be saved and they replied believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved you and your household a a believer is the sinner in the temple. A believer is the Philippian jailer. A believer is the person who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. A believer believes that the Son of God died to bring him into, died to save him, and that he died to bring him into a personal relationship with himself. This is what a believer does. And a believer makes a conscious decision to receive Jesus as a savior. So have you done that? I'm not talking about a daily choice where you wake up today and you say, I'm going to trust Jesus to help me through today, to guide me through this life. That's nice, but that's not what this is talking about. I'm talking about a life altering decision to change the state of your soul. Have you done that? If you've never made the decision if you've never believed in Jesus and received him as your savior, you're not a Christian. You're not a believer. Even if you've gone to church all your life, even if you've completed all of the sacraments, without this decision, we are dead in our sins. So have you made that decision yourself? Are you still trusting in some deity? Or are you still trusting in your works? If we've made this decision, Paul says that we are Christians. If we are Christians, therefore, we are fulfilled by Christ. If we are Christians, we are fulfilled by Christ. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, he says, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I laid down in all the churches. Let's go on a time travel journey. I'm a nerd. I like history. So, 8,000 years ago, beginning of time, there was nothing. And Moses records for us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Six days. God creates everything. We read about it in Genesis chapter 1. The culmination of his creation, as we know it, man and woman, he places them in the Garden of Eden to tend the e- garden. And God tells Adam and Eve in verse 29, he says, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. He places them there. We know they calls that garden the Garden of Eden. And the garden that he created Adam and Eve to live in was beyond imagination. He describes it in verses 9 to 10 of chapter 2. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the garden, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. In that garden, God provided everything that Adam and Eve needed. He provided them food, provided them relationship, provided them shelter, provided them... they, They lacked... Nothing that they needed. But even then in that garden, Adam and Eve thought that God was withholding something from them. That there was something else that they needed that God wasn't providing. Therefore, they had to find it themselves. And Eve looked at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she looked at the fruit of it in Genesis 3.6. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. They thought that they needed more than what God could provide. They didn't think that he was the fulfillment of everything, so they turned away from him. The act of coming to Jesus in faith is the act of saying that Jesus does provide everything we need. Starting with the salvation of our souls, but then for the rest of our life, he is the one who provides everything we need. He doesn't withhold any good thing from us, any necessary thing from us. He gives what we need. In him, we have the fulfillment of the desires of our heart. Before him, we try to fill our life with all sorts of junk that never works. We could talk about anything, any of the junk that we try to fill our lives with. We could talk about the obvious thing like drugs or alcohol. And we can have the conversation of, was your life fulfilled after that? No one after getting drunk tells me the day after that they really enjoy what they feel like right then. But we could talk about other things that we chase whether it's relationships or entertainment or this or that or the other thing that we try to fill our lives with over and over and over again, but the more we shove it into our life, the more we realize the emptiness. We try to use this stuff to try to satisfy the longing of our heart when Jesus is standing there holding his hand out to us saying, I'm all you need. I'm all you need. Will you take me? Will you follow me? Will you allow me to fill the hole in our heart? Paul understood this, which is why he burst out to the Philippians in Philippians chapter three, verses uh, starting in verse seven. Paul says, but whatever regains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. Paul wanted to know Christ. We can talk in conversations I have with people and I share about things of my heart and you all share the things of your heart so many times. The priorities, the desires of our heart is a full bank account or a couple working cards, a loving relationship or any sort of things, whatever our priorities say. And Paul looks at us when we talk about our priorities and he says, nope, none of it's worth it. None of it is. All those things are just keeping me back from the main goal of Christ. It is Christ. We are Christians. Therefore, Christ is our fulfillment. And if Christ is our fulfillment, we can stay in whatever situation we are in because the situation does not fulfill us. Christ does. Paul gives us three illustrations of how our situation fulfills us. First, Paul says that we are fulfilled by Christ, not by relationships, not by relationships. The passage we're studying here is right smack dab in the middle of a passage about relationships. Verses one to 16, Paul talks about marriage, and then next week we're gonna talk about singleness, which is a discussion of relationships as well everything that Paul is talking about relating to marriage and singleness comes back to the fact that Christ is our fulfillment. Think about those couples who get married, and you start off, they're looking so lovingly at each other, aren't they? Everyone say, "Ah, Yeah, it's great. Warm and fuzzies, warm and fuzzies. But there are some people who get married and they stand at the altar, they stare loving in their eyes, they, they stumble as they're trying to repeat their vows after me, and then life happens. And they realize that when they were getting married to their spouse, they thought that their spouse was gonna meet all their needs. And all those wise couples who have been married so much longer than they have say... True, it doesn't. But if we spend our life hoping that our spouse will fulfill us, that those people, they end in divorce because it can't get past that hump. When couples get married realizing that the person that they're paying their vows to are sinners who will never meet their needs, and instead they seek to build a strong relationship with Jesus Christ who will meet their needs and then they can turn around and love their broken, sinful spouse all that better, those married couples last. Paul, to all married couples, say, remain as you are, whether you're a widow, whether you're never married, whether you're married, whatever the state of your relationship status is, we can do that because our fulfillment in our relationships is Christ. Nothing else. Not our spouse or lack thereof. Our fulfillment is Christ. He provides what we need. There's no emptiness in our life if Christ is present. Okay, Paul says our fulfillment is in Christ, not relationships. He also says that our fulfillment is in Christ, not by politics. Okay, now we're going to dive into the deeper end. Everyone ready for the next divisive point? You want to hold on to the chair in front of you? Okay, let's look at the text. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. It's an interesting one. Each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. And I should have, like, advanced all through that. There you go. Two weeks ago, I talked about sex. This week, I'm talking about circumcision. It's great. Awesome. (laughs) What every pastor wants to talk about. For those of you who don't know, Jews practiced circumcision. And you can go talk to someone else on what that is. But they practice circumcision as a way of setting themselves apart as the people of God. God gave it as a sign of the covenant back in Genesis chapter 17. And from that point on, those who are Jews practice circumcision as a sign that they're set apart from, as people of God. Every time they went to the bathroom, they're reminded they're set apart as people of God. Every time they're with their wife, reminded they're set apart as people of God. Their whole existence defined, reminded, staring them in the face that they're set apart as people of God. The Jews took that symbol that they were to be set apart as people of God and they amplified it. It became a matter of pride to them, a matter of national identity. If you were a Jew, you were circumcised and if you were not circumcised, you were not a Jew. They amplified it to be a thing that was necessary for being right with God because only Jews were right with God, therefore you must be circumcised to become a Jew, therefore you become right with God. That was the deal. Gentiles were not circumcised. And that was a blanket term they applied to anyone. Anyone who was not a Jew was a Gentile, anyone else. You're not circumcised, you're a Gentile because if you were circumcised, you'd be a Jew, you'd be part of our nation, and you'd be right with God since you're part of our nation. So you had the Jews who were circumcised, then you had the rest of the world who were called Gentiles who were not circumcised. You good with me? You could be following. Okay. The Jews did not like Gentiles because they believed that Gentiles lived against the law of Moses. The Gentiles didn't like the Jews because the Jews were holier than thou. Up the ups. A little oversimplific, simplific, but you get the point. Lines at this time were drawn over circumcision, both religiously and politically because circumcision became a political term. Paul says that these lines do not matter. What matters is keeping God's commands. We live in a world where lines are being drawn everywhere. We live in a nation where lines are being drawn everywhere. In fact, we live in a county today where lines are being drawn everywhere. No matter what label you put on yourselves, whether you're Democrats or Republicans, both parties' lines are being drawn within those parties, even in this county. And both parties are on the verge of splintering because of the lines that are being drawn. And through these splintering of lines, too few Democrats and too few Republicans who are calling them Christians calling themselves Christians, are taking the time to ask what does it mean to be a Christian first? What does it mean to be a Christian first? Yes, we might want to change our situation but what does it mean right now to live as a Christian? What does it mean to serve the Lord in the muck that we find ourselves? What does it mean If Christ is our fulfillment, how can we live for him right now, even if our situation never changes? One day, we all might be faced with what this guy was faced with, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German during the rise of Adolf Hitler. Growing up before Adolf Hitler came into power, he considered himself equally a German and a Christian. There were some days when he considered himself more of a German than a Christian because he's supposed to be patriotic and he's supposed to work for the good of his nation. And so he spent more time working for the good of his nation than he did working for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then one day, because so many Christians of his day had spent more time working for the good of their nation rather than the good of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and a bunch of other Christians were faced with the choice. Are they a German first or a Christian first? Because all of a sudden, their nation was calling them to do unchristian, ungodly things. They were to support unchristian, ungodly policies. They were to react unchristianly and ungodly towards people within their own nation and around the world. And if they were a good German, they would do this. If they cared about their nation so that their nation wouldn't fall apart and get swept up into the liberalism around the world, they would do this. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer and other Christians had come face to face with the realization that they were a Christian first and not a Jew and not a German. And ultimately Dietrich Bonhoeffer died because of that choice that he was a Christian first before a German. Right now, Christians in both political parties are going to have to decide whether they are Christians first or Republicans, whether they're Christians first or Democrats. Both parties are going to start calling their members to support positions, to say certain things, to react in certain ways, to seek certain changes, to treat the opposing party a certain way that are not Christian, that are not godly. And it's easy to get sucked up into that and say, oh, but everyone else is doing it. Oh, but that's how they're treating us. Sometimes the changes that we're gonna be asked to support are good in our minds but seeking those changes actually stops us from serving the Lord. Sometimes those changes are good in our minds, but, but the way of making those changes goes against the call of God. We must ask ourselves, what does it mean right now to live as a Christian? Yes, we want those changes, but what does it mean right now to acknowledge that we are fulfilled by Christ? Whatever happens politically, And to shine that for the world to know that our fulfillment is not Christ. Our fulfillment is Christ, not a change in situation or a change in politics. It's Christ. What does it mean to show that? And if we stare that truth in the face and actually see what that answer is, we may not like that answer, but we're called to live it. Paul says we are fulfilled by Christ, not by relationships, not by politics. Thirdly, he says, will fulfilled by Christ, not by finances. Not by finances. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter seven, verses twenty-one to twenty-three: "Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who is a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who is free when called is Christ's slave. You are bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings." We've talked a little bit about slavery uh, in the past couple months. Slaves in Roman times, it's very common. Uh, some slaves had great masters, some slaves had horrible masters. Some people sold themselves into slavery in order to better their situation. Some people wanted to get out of slavery in order to better their situation. It was this huge, convoluted motley of things. It wasn't all bad, it wasn't all good. Paul, as an aside in this passage, does say something radical. He opens the door to slaves wanting to better their position. But the point of his passage is on living as a Christian in the situation his readers are in. He says, hey, if you're free, live as a free Christian. If you're a slave, live as a Christian who's a slave. Whatever situation you're in, Corinthians, don't be troubled by that situation, but live as a Christian, he says, no matter your financial, financial bank account situation, that's the word. In America, we've almost made finances a god. We're currently going through Financial Peace University and Adult Sunday School. I really enjoy the program. We've had some great discussion in it. I love the course. But sometimes the wording that's used in the lectures troubles me. I know they're not meaning what they are saying because I know the, the philosophy behind it, I know the people that are behind it, but sometimes they almost teach wealth as a status. That we should be continually upward mobile. And if we're not, something's wrong. And that shouldn't be. In the face of that type of pressure, there are a lot of people that look at their situation they're, they're, and they see it poorly. And they say, oh, I'm not good enough then because I'm not what Dave Ramsey says I should be. And they find it hard living out their calling as believers because they're constantly pushing towards this unreachable goal that they just have not met and may never meet. And they say, oh, I'm just a this or I'm just a that. I can never be, I can never be used by God because I'm not good enough, because I'm not there. There's some people that do see status as significant. And they they believe that change is necessary and they believe that it's the godly path to seek to better ourselves. And if we're not seeking to better ourselves, something's wrong. Maybe we're not saved because we have not received the wealth that we were supposed to have given. But financial and social status is irrelevant with God. We are able to live as a Christian no matter where we are. If opportunity knocks, yes, we can seek to better ourselves because opportunity is knocking. That's great, but we shouldn't put stock in bettering ourselves in our position. We should instead seek to live as a Christian. Why? Because Christ is our fulfillment. We're fulfilled by Christ, not our financial situation, not our social economic status. I love what Habakkuk says in Habakkuk chapter three. Habakkuk chapter three, he writes, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no crop, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Why can he say that? Because he knows that whatever is in this life, whatever they see, is not really worthwhile. It isn't. Christ is. If Christ is our fulfillment, we can live out our calling as a Christian, whatever our situation is, whether we are single, whether we're married, whether we're married to a non-believer, whether we do blue collar work or white collar work, whatever our social economic condition, we can live as a Christian and we can shine our light to the world to know that he is everything we need, nothing else. Paul says we're fulfilled by Christ, not by relationships, politics, or economics. So, we have seen that we are Christians and that we're fulfilled by Christ, that he is our everything. If we're fulfilled by Christ, then we can glorify God in our situation. We can glorify God in our situation. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7:24, Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Remember, Paul doesn't have a problem with us changing our situation if there's an opportunity, as long as we're not distracted with living out our calling as a Christian. He said we should focus on remaining in the situation we are in. We should focus on it for three reasons. First, because we don't need to change our situation to be more holy. We don't need to change our situation to be more holy. A married person who is married to an unbeliever will not become more holy if they divorce that unbeliever. It won't happen. Marriage does not change our holiness or unholiness. If we're single, we'll be just as holy as if we're married. Marriage has no status in our sanctification. A Democrat will not become more holy if they become a Republican. And a Republican will not become more holy as a Democrat. It doesn't work. Our political tag that we place on ourselves has no bearing on our sanctification. A poor person will not become more holy if they become rich. A rich person will not become more holy if they become poor. Paul says, keeping God's commandments are what counts. What are those commands? He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We can have a perfect life. We can have a perfect situation. We can have the best job. We can have the best bank account, we can have the best marriage, we can have the best everything. But if we have not kept that command of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, making that decision ourselves, we're nothing. As Jesus said in Mark chapter 8 verse 36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? If we've believed in Jesus Christ for our salvation, we're made holy. We don't have to do anything else. But in response to God's amazing gift out of love for him, we are to live in a way that glorifies him in our situation. Those are the two commands. Believe in him, glorify him. That's it. But underneath glorifying him, he also commands some other stuff. He says, love one another. As Jesus showed his love, so we're supposed to show our love to other people. We're to be blameless in our dealings with the world around us. us. We're to be above reproach. We are to be gentle. And the list could go on and on and on of all the different ways in our interactions with people that we are to live as a Christian. Everyone, when they see us, the way we interact with them, no matter their status, no matter what they believe, no matter what they do, no matter how they treat us, they're supposed to look at us and say, there's something different about you. You must be a follower of Jesus Christ through how we interact in our situation. The next time we turn on the television, we see someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ We can analyze them and say, okay, in how they're talking and how they are treating people and how they're speaking about people who they disagree with, are they living as a Christian or are they channeling the prince of this world in their attitudes and interactions? And then we can look at ourselves and ask the same thing. God says we are to glorify him in our situation. We don't need to change our situation to be more holy. We don't need to change our situation to be more fulfilled. I've talked about this, but 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 24. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. I'll never forget sitting in a trendy restaurant in the art district of Dallas. The restaurant looked kind of like that, but it wasn't that one. Nice and trendy. I hated it. I was there at a work function. This was after my Chick-fil-A days. I was a delivery driver for a trendy, up-and-up laundry delivery company that delivered laundry to the rich kids at Southern Methodist University and Texas Christian University. Uh, And I was there for a work function. The owners of the business was there and they were talking with us. And the owners of the business were Christians. They found out I went to Dallas Theological Seminary and they asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, oh, I want to go pastor a small country church in the middle of nowhere. And they looked at me and their mouths dropped. And they said, why in the world would you waste all your degrees there? You could just go, like, the world is for you to grab, take it, and run for it. I'm not here to boast about my degrees and all the things that God has done for me. That's just junk, trash. Paul says, I count it loss for the sake of Christ. But there are many people who still look at me and wonder why in the world am I stuck here in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska? But compared with knowing Christ and serving him, our situations don't matter. There are some people, even people who claim to be called to the ministry who are continually trying to better their situation and go to the next bigger church because they're trying to have the church fulfill them and not Christ. We spend a lot of the sermon discussing that Christ is our fulfillment, but if we try to find fulfillment in our situation, we will never be satisfied. Our kids will never obey us enough. We will never have enough time as a family. We will never have enough of emergency fund. We'll never have a good enough car or a nice enough job or house or relationship with our parents or kids or siblings or spouse. We'll never have a good enough friends. And on and on, we will never have enough. We will never be satisfied if we're continually trying to find our satisfaction, our fulfillment in this situation. We're called to have contentment because our situation doesn't fulfill us. Christ does. Instead of asking, how can I be fulfilled in this situation? Or where should I go to get my fulfillment? We're already fulfilled. So we should ask, how can I glorify God here? Because I'm already fulfilled. I already have Christ. Therefore, how can I glorify him in our situation? Sometimes that's tough, which is where a nice little prepositional phrase comes in. I've already said I'm a nerd, so I'm going to talk just a little bit about grammar, and I'm sorry, I'm keeping, I've, I've talked too much already. How do we glorify God in our situation? Knowing that we are Christians, therefore we're fulfilled by Christ. Knowing that we don't have to change our situation to be more holy. Knowing that we don't have to change our situation to be more fulfilled. We are to live out our intimacy with Christ. Listen to that verse again that we repeated. Paul says, Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Normally I like the New International Version, which is what I preach from. I study in the original language, I preach from the New International Version. But sometimes they do something that just causes me to wonder. They have this phrase, as responsible to God, there. And literally, the original language says, with God. And I really wanna sit down next to the New International Version translators and look them square in the eye and say, why in the world, what in the world makes you think you can translate with God as, as responsible to God. And they would say, oh, but there's because of this presuppositional use and da 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 da, and I will look and slap them across the side of the face. This is one spot where I believe the King James got it right. King James reads, Brethren, let every man wherever, wherein he is called therein abide with God. We can glorify God in every situation we are in, knowing that we are fulfilled in Christ if we are abiding with him if we are living out our intimacy with Christ. I say it so many times. Jesus died that we might have a relationship with him. We get to pray directly to him. We get to read his love letter, his scripture through us. We can spend time with him. And the more time we spend with him, the more we are fulfilled by him. And the more we are fulfilled by him, the more we can glorify him. But it all comes back to, are we living out our salvation? Are we spending the time with him, therefore, so that we can glorify him in our situations? Are we restless where we are in life, in our situation? Run to Jesus. Are we wishing that something in our life would change? Run to Jesus. Is the relationships in our life, whether it's with our kids or with our spouses or with our parents or with our friends, are our relationships crumbling? Paul says, run to Jesus. Are we disturbed with the world around us? The politics and all everything that's happening, Paul says, run to Jesus. Paul says, instead of spending all of our time trying to fix this life when we can't actually fix it, let's spend our time with Jesus who will fill the hole in our hearts, who will shine his light into our messy life and What happens is the more time we spend with Him, the more we're able to glorify Him. And slowly, the world around us does change. But it's not us that's doing the change. It's Christ, as we've spent time with Him. Why would we try to do what we cannot do? We need need Christ to do it. Paul says we are Christians. Therefore, we're fulfilled by Christ. Therefore, we are to glorify God in whatever situation we are in. Are we doing it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for being our fulfillment, for knowing what we needed in life and sending your Son to save us, but also to call us into a relationship that provides everything we need. Just as you gave Adam and Eve, so you've given to us. Lord, I ask that you would teach us every day what it means to be fulfilled by you and then to turn around and glorify you. Stop us, Lord, from spending our lives doing all the things that do not matter, for for getting caught into the American cult of busyness and independence instead of looking to you, our Redeemer, and spending the time with you so that you can do the work. Lord, that is foreign to us. But teach us, Father, as we turn to you, our Redeemer.